This is Season 3, Episode 3 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master or a player, you'll find advice, ideas, and some strong opinions. Tonight's episode is Game Mastering by the Seat of Your Pants, or I Meant to Do That. Welcome to Mastering the RPG. Like I said, it's a tabletop RPG podcast, all about giving advice, ideas, cool stuff found, answering emails, all sorts of good stuff. If you want information about the show, go to masteringtherpg.com, and you can send us email, feedback, or questions at gangmastering, sorry, gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com. That's a mouthful. Uh, so, hey, it's great to be on the mic. I'm here with my co-host Eric and James. Uh, how you doing, guys? Going great. Going really good. Um, started my latest term of Dungeons and Dragons with our kids group this week, so I'm well into my five weekly campaigns at the moment and having a ball. Ooh, up to the f- all, all in on the five. Awesome. Awesome. We were, uh, we were just uh, able to uh, finally get, get moving on our campaign yeah. that we're working on our our, <laughs> our pathfinder savage worlds campaign we finally were starting to get a little momentum going players introduced yeah. themselves and they went and met up with some folks and they finally have decided didn't meet to meet at a tavern we, we did not did, meet at a tavern oh uh, no nope. we actually met at several different locations uh we had to travel between one introduction so that was interesting um but i was the anchor which is not what i expected to be because i was i'm like kind of the most outcast of, at any, of everyone so that was an interesting twist I think it's because I did the most prep work, right, Carl? Like as far as my backstory and well, your backstory <laughs> was very rich, and it and it felt it. It was very good as far as why you would want to go do things because you were part of this warden yeah. group. Yeah, I made a faction. I had a page on a faction. <laughs> I went real deep because yeah. this is supposed to be like one of our epic campaigns, right? We're going long on this one. So. We're hoping so. Um, We're hoping so. Yeah. Um, and but, everyone I mean, regardless, else was kind yeah, of. So I'm. I, I, but I, I was I've been doing okay this week. I've been busy, but I'm a little under the weather now, so um, probably gonna a little be hard for me to talk a lot. But yeah, I'll try to struggle through it. All right. Well, uh, well, uh, I wish good health to you, and hopefully you recover quickly. <laughs> uh, yeah, please. <laughs> you got two weeks before we have to talk again, so hopefully you'll be healthy by then. Um, so we actually have two emails tonight that we want to go through. all right we have two emails the first is by andy and and andy writes hello fellow adventurers my name is andy and i love the podcast as well as carl's savage world's youtube channel now that's eric and carl's uh channel uh, after listening to your experience of getting the group together in Season 3, Episode 2, I was curious as to hear about some of your favorite characters that you either have played, NPCs you have ran, or PCs that surprised you that folks in your gaming groups have come to the table with. I have DM'd for over 40-plus years from the Mold Moldvay edition all the way up to 5e as well as numerous other ga- systems and genres. Always interested in hearing about characters that evolved into greatness through long-running campaigns. Cheers to you, and may the dice be forever in your favor. May the dice be forever in your favor. Andy, 
Well, that's a, that's a great, that's a great cool question. I think um, I've got some thoughts on it, but I'm going to turn it over to James for his thoughts to start with. Characters. I love characters. Characters is kind of why we do this thing. So thank you so much, Andy, for the question. Um, I've got some well-used characters that I've loved, um, that I've both played and run as NPCs, and I've had, I've, I've got kind of the weird honour of dungeon mastering for hundreds of people. So I've seen some very strange characters in my time, some very memorable ones that other people have played. In terms of characters that I've played that have evolved into greatness and things that I've done for a long time, uh, I've just I finished last year a campaign that we ran a fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons that went from level one to level twenty. Hagen Harthold was my dwarf ranger multi class uh, ranger fighter multi class that was absolutely fantastic. I loved playing a curmudgeonly old dwarf. He was kind of well into his hundreds that needed a rocking chair to sit down, had an absolute ball that played to play him and to take on that persona. Really, really loved it. One of my older characters that I played for coming under six years was a uh, vampire, the Eternal Struggle character called Zeontes, which was a Toreador uh, violinist that was immortal. Absolutely loved playing him for a very long period of time. Uh, in terms of NPCs, um, uh, Eric knows one of my NPCs quite well. Uh, which is Umwerta the Hag that I used within Fey Touched. Um, I managed to torture Eric quite well with Umwerta or that entire group for a couple of months. Umwerta is actually not the first time that she's appeared in one of my games. Uh, she's been a hag in Fey-like games for probably close to 10 years now. Um, an insidious, horrible, child-eating hag that I kind of drop on many groups just because I love her and, and, and enjoy <laughs> playing her multiple times. I have a travelling salesman that I've been using for close to 20 years now named uh, Shifty McSwifty, and this predates Taylor Swift, so I'm just going to own it. Um, <laughs> all of my kids' group have now met Shifty every year. Some of my old D&D uh, &D mates that I've been playing with on and off for 15 years knows, knows Shifty McSwifty, um, and so I use him as a recurrent kind of travelling salesman every time that we need to do a little bit of shopping and they want they want to do that. Uh, Swifty is a fantastic thing. In terms of unusual characters I've ever dealt with, my probably the strangest character I've ever played with is uh, uh, a guy I know named Jack who brought to me a halfling bard that was a whistler. And it was a bit kind of Marx Brothers in that this halfling bard never actually spoke just whistled for everything that they wanted to articulate. So for a bard with high charisma and high persuasion skill, uh, we still rolled to see how well they'd persuade, but it was all about whistling classical music tunes to try and personify the group. And he kept this up for close to three years. No um, way. It, it would have done my head in after <laughs> no about <way>. four <laughs> sessions, but he played it ongoing for quite a while, which was which was quite extraordinary. Wow. So. That's been the weirdest character that's ever come up to my table. Of course, there's hundreds of others. There's been uh, lots of great fun over the years, but they're probably the one that comes to mind. How about you, Eric? You would have played some weird, weird guys in your I, time. There's too many. I mean, it's like your favorite child, you know? I mean, I, I would say some of my favorite characters in campaigns have been in your guys' campaigns, for sure. I mean, 
Uh, Bisbo was a, a lot of fun to play, and just playing a Cobalt is always a good time, especially one that's an adventure in a world where, where they're like treated as almost slaves. So that was kind of fun to flip the script on that one. Uh, Carl's Games, I, I played a kind of, you know, Oliver Twist cat uh, cyber solo monk uh, that dual whips mono whips on a bike and was like a, a show off because he wanted to impress people all the time. And um, that was just crazy. <laughs> and I yeah. played a, like an adventure child in one of his campaigns. The, a really interesting character I had was this kind of in another um, Deadlands. It's like a science fiction Deadlands um, I was a kind of ex uh, escaping a war in in from Ukraine. I, I don't think I was from Ukraine, was I? I was from one of those Balkan states, but I, I escaped yeah. Russia and I was I had made a pact with what presented as coyote from Native American um, folklore, um, and would kind of we, we used the the mechanic of the, the deal like used he was a gambler, so I used cards to um, represent like dealing with the devil, which is part of the mechanic of the arcane caster, but was like dealing with Coyote, who was a trickster. So sometimes did things um, that I didn't want him to do and, and made me do things that I didn't want to do. Um, yeah, I, I've just, I've had so many games that <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's hard to really go through them all. Uh, but yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah, just those were just pretty memorable characters. What's the weirdest one that you've ever played with? Weirdest character someone else has come up with and and put it in front of you. Oh, I don't even, I, I mean, I've seen it all, man. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's, I think, I think the weirdest ones are when, when people can't speak for whatever reason, you know, yep. that's always going to be an interesting take. And I remember somebody, um, I mean, like right now I'm playing a fairy dragon, um, who's been, who, who's been kind of like tr as a circus attraction, um, and he's broken free, but he can't like fly anymore. And he has to, he has to keep his shape different. Um, and he's been trying to convince everyone to start a button empire and that he's like a king of some floating city. Um, so that's been a fun <laughs> character just recently. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, go on, Carl. What about you? Uh, well, my absolute favorite character I've played now, I've played a few, but I, I game master most of the time, but my favorite character of all time was Brumby, the illusionist. And Brumby is from, started in AD&D, first edition. And if you remember back then, the Illusionist was not the most powerful character um, class. No, not uh, at all. A lot of the spells um, had descriptions that said, go see the wizard spell of this level. And you had a much smaller list. But man, yeah. he just had so much fun messing with people, left, right, up and down, color spraying them, knocking them out, doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And it was a lot of fun. And I actually um, kind of reinvigorated him for a D&D 3.5 short-term campaign that I was in for a little bit. I just love Brumby. He, he just had a style to him. <laughs> and he was a gnome. So a gnome illusionist. How can you go wrong with a gnome illusionist, uh, right? That's a classic. Yeah, and it, a classic. And did you bring that up, Carl? It makes me think of actually my last character with you. And this is more like the way I flavor the arcane background. And it was pretty meta. But we were in this kind of... Um, it was like a, after the singularity. So it was, we were in a post kind of apocalypse world and there was all this like high technology and I had an illusionist character and I flavored the illusion as like the whole power set. Cause it's savage world. I flavored it all as it's basically a portable, um, portable, uh, what's it called in Star Trek? The illusion room, um, portable, uh, holodeck. holodeck, a portable holodeck, but it was all about, it was a game at, I called it mystics and marauders and it was a mystic and marauders armband. So all my powers were like create NPC, like, uh, um, you know, switch layer, like a VTT layer. And like, it was all those things because it was this like high technology. So that was just a really fun concept. I just wanted yeah. to. 
bring up, but yep. anyways. <laughs> well, now my, my favorite NPC is actually has been in a few of these games, Eric, that you played into, oh, yeah, you're, which is yeah. PAX. PAX is a yeah. robot, and so he's been in. He was a fixer in a cyberpunk game. He was he ran the ship in one game. He was uh, sort of the uh, bad guys in uh, in a in the post-apocalyptic one where they ran kind of the world in the background. So PAX shows up all the time with a little bit different personalities, but always the same token, always the same token because it's PAX. <laughs> um, and then players I played with, there's so many. I think I, I'll tell you the most memorable are Eric's characters because you, you go all in. Um, a lot of players just kind of, they, they surface, they scratch the surface of their players, but you go all in. So your characters are always super, super interesting. Um, so there's a couple other folks in my group, current group, who've had a few, few gr- really interesting growth character, growth curves. Uh, like one of the, yeah. one of the characters was a cop who was undercover in the cyberpunk world and grew to the point where they were famous and they were the best cop in the world, and nobody knew they were a cop who were playing with them until this later. So they kind of evolved from quiet to more gregarious and helping out, and it was all sort of happenstance that happened. So, so that was a lot of fun. So yeah, cool stuff. Really good. Great question. Great question. Um, so Great any question. other thoughts? Send what are you and, and for others, send in your characters. Let's hear about them too. For those that are listening, send us through your weirdest character. We can we can t- kind of touch base and have a bit of a chat about it it'd be great yeah we could uh yeah that's a great idea so do that and where do you do that game master at mastering the rpg.com so there you go um so a second our second email of the uh of the day evening here is from rob um says hello i was curious for those of you that have how do you start an online group i am talking about from scratch <laughs> not uh, people you already know. I find it very intimidating to try and start a new online group with strangers. How do you vet and decide on those that will fit? How do you get the new, your players to mesh? Um, Rob, that is a, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, that could be almost an episode. Um, and I feel like we've touched on this in other episodes, like bits of it, um, right? But I think we've all started online groups, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, we have. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, met all of you through online groups. So, yeah, 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 literally, literally. I, you know, I <laughs> think. The, I mean, the hardest part is finding a place where you can post to get those online groups. Uh, fortunately for for me, when we were using Roll Twenty, it has a very good looking for group feature. Yeah. Um, that you can post what your game is, what you're trying to accomplish, um, a good description. I, I find that the most the most important thing when you're getting folks and you're vetting them is to have a very clear social contract in the looking for group posting things that you have your, your expectations. Cause you, cause you, cause you want to weed folks out a little bit before you even get yeah. to a session zero. So the expectation, how the players will work together, how the players will engage with the story, gaming style, you know, a lot of the session zero social contract stuff, you might want to state up front right away. Um, but I, I don't know. Yeah, how that, that's go ahead. That's yeah. I mean, like I said, this could be a whole episode. Um, but I mean, Reddit and Discord obviously are the best places outside of Roll Twenty, especially for other games. I think, and people generally are good on Reddit. But just like you said, be very clear in your posting. I think it's good to have not a not a long description of your game, but not like just a sentence either. And in that, have a have you know have them do a short um, uh, what's it called? <laughs> Sorry, like a short uh. It, 
questionnaire, you know, like uh, just three or four questions of like, you know, your name, age, like maybe pronouns. Uh, but then like, you know, what kind of, how do you like playing your game? Like what kind of games do you like? Um, things like that. And then what I've also done is like, you know, I think some people do this where they're like, and then at the end of your, um, at the end of your questionnaire, like put the word pineapple or something just to see if that person's actually read the thing, because there's a lot of players who will just go through and just like, you know, do an automatic response and they won't like, they didn't actually read your whole posting. So that's a little trick that I've used before. And then, and then after you know, you've done that, like just have a short interview with the person, like, you know, it just has to be like for a minute and just to hear their voice, hear if their recording software is good. Um, uh, just hear if they're like, you know, they can, dialogue with you and just ask them like just some light questions. So I think those are the best ways. And then as far as the players meshing, like we talked about that a lot in episode two, I think. And, yep. you know, just having a big session zero, like we always talk about and, um, you know, having people kind of talk about their characters and how they're interacting and just kind of seeing it that way, just having everybody kind of come together um, and then having, you know, like we, like we've talked about either them knowing each other or partial relationships, things like that. I think if episode two was a good example of that. Yeah, I think episode two hit right upon that, right upon that. It did. Yeah, I mean, for me, congratulations. If you're a, if you're a dungeon master or a games master, filling a group's a lot easier than trying to find a group when you're a player, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think you've got the advantage there. Yeah. Um, Discord, Reddit, I use Facebook a lot to try and get people on because there are local Facebook pages that you can often find. So I, I have a, a, a looking for group in my home city Facebook page. So all you have to do is put an advert up for your game and you tend to get people up straight away. Um, I totally agree with everything that Eric has said, being very specific with the description about your game and the purpose, meeting them, meeting individuals before you put the, the session together. One thing that I always do as well is I tend to run a get to know you one shot session for groups, for, for campaigns that will be going for a long period of time. Um, I don't do this with kids groups. I find that kids are actually much easier to manage um, in terms of if you're a new kid. Kids are so used to being told what to do by parents and teachers. Yeah, that you can and being kind in of school, say, right? This yeah. is how we do it. And they're also used to being thrown together with other children that they may not like very much. They just kind of, they're used to it. With adults, we tend to be a bit more selective with the with the assholes we hang out with. So it's uh, it, it, be, it becomes a little bit more different for adult players. So I run a little one-shot just to see what the group's like. It, it tends to only go for about an hour. I select pre-made characters just to get a sense of how they go and then just throw them in the deep end. And then that's how I can figure out if the group dynamics is going to work. I did the same when we when we auditioned for Fate Touch. We did that exact thing. We put together a little one-hour one-shot. In the end, one of the players didn't find it was right for her, moved on, and it made for yeah. a lot easier to get that to get that through. Um, I think that you'll find once you put it out there online, I'm, I want to run a game, you will be inundated with people. So you do you are able to be a bit picky. You are able to be a bit choosy. And it's not just about the personalities gelling together. It's also, who you know, the personalities working with you, I guess, because you can play role-playing games in such a wide variety of styles from heavy role-play to heavy combat to ultra-realistic. Getting that mix right for you is really, really important. So for me, one hour. Play for an hour, see what you think. It's much better than putting together a long campaign and have it fall apart after three or four sessions just because people don't like the style of the game. Yeah, I think the yeah, one-shot like, idea is a really good idea. Um, to just run a one-shot with the group and see how everybody interacts with each other. Definitely a good idea. 
Yeah, and I think on top of that, James, like, um, and we talked about this in, in episode two too, but as far as the, the one-shot idea goes, like, especially with your one-shot specifically, we played characters that are in the same game world as the campaign. And so yeah. later on when we played our actual characters, it was, like, cool that they were part of the um, history. I, I kind of mess with you. I, I made your character, like, a really funny one to play. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, so that was really fun to do that. But, yeah, that, so it's good. It's a cool thing to do, too. And, again, just like we talked about in episode two, it'll give your um, players more um, more connections to, to the campaign that you're running because they'll be like, oh, we know those characters. Like, we played them before. They're, they already feel invested in your world. So I think it's cool to do the one-shot in the world that you're going to be playing, too, as well. Great. Okay, sounds great. All right, well, hey, thanks, everybody, for the email. Keep them coming. Um, love to receive them and think about them. They, they always generate cool ideas when we're talking um, together to the guys and say, hey, that's kind of cool. We didn't think about that idea or, or that thought. So, hey, let's, what do you say we get on to the main topic? All right, welcome to the main topic. So tonight we're talking about game mastering by the seat of your pants. Um, and what does that mean? So uh, I know what it means to me. I, I, it means, you know, sort of players taking different actions during an adventure, kind of going left when you thought they were going right, or even taking different directions uh, between adventures, going someplace that you didn't think they were going, they, they, you thought they were going there, um, and then they're not. I don't know, what do you... What do you guys think of uh, that you have to handle? Is is that a good definition for you, or do you think there's more to it than that? Yeah, I think so. That uh, I think they they deal with the the two main things is kind of dealing with the curveballs of your players, and I mean, let's face it, the beauty of role playing games is that you can do anything you want, really. It, and but a lot of that means that the dungeon master, the games master, has got to got to think very very quickly on her feet you know you've just kind of you've got to you've got to pivot as quickly as you can to try and accommodate that and and the big one for me which is the most difficult one is when they go direct right off the rails and kind of you know choose an entirely different path than what you had planned or what you thought that the adventure was going to be before you sat down for the session that's that's the real tricky one for me i think you're right carl i think it's that's what we're talking about so, all right, so what what are the challenges uh, that come with with doing this? I mean, um, you know, I, obviously thinking of ideas in a moment can be difficult. That's an obvious one where, you know, you've got something prepared, you've got a thought out, you know, you're sort of, it's in your brain, right? It's It's been uh, integrated into your thought process, and now suddenly you kind of get yanked out of that zone, and you have to you have to get the creative juices going, like turn the faucet on instantaneously. Cause you know, honestly, when you're, when you got all your prep work done, sometimes you're running a little bit on not autopilot's not the right term, but you're sort of, this is what's happening and now this is going to happen. And now this is going to happen. And then it's just like, you got to throw that out and you got to completely rethink about what's going on. Um, you got to be careful not to say things that completely break the long, the long game, I guess, you know, your the yep. campaign, the things that define, the continuity of your campaign or your lore or, or what have you, because um, it's easy to come up with something fast and then realize that that's just not, that's just completely derailed sort of the overall 
overarching worldview that you had, um, which is not necessarily bad, right? I mean, you just run with it and go with it, but it certainly is something that kind of requires some creativity and requires um, being able to think about stuff without um, getting yourself off the rails, I guess. What other, some of the other challenges? Eric, what do you think? I mean, those are definitely the main ones. I, I think a big one is almost an emotional one of like, you know, like some, for somebody like I have ADHD and, and one of the things, the symptoms of that is you can get easily overwhelmed or you can start to like have like, you know, cascading thoughts kind of thing. And I think that, that can affect anybody, right? Where it seems like, okay, my house of cards, my narrative, it's a house of cards has fallen apart and then they can get really, you can almost, almost get like upset, you know, um, or start to be stressed out about it and like, okay, I, I'm thinking too much about it. And I think that can really affect, and then maybe, then maybe DMs are hard on themselves because they're like, oh, I'm not, you know, because I can't like bounce at this back immediately, uh, I'm not a good GM or something. So I, I do think there's like an emotional thing here because, um, you know, what's a success, what, what's a, what's, what does it mean to be a successful game master? You know, and, and is it, is it the ability to tell just a good story? Is the ability to think on your, sh your feet and be good at improv? I mean, there's a lot of those things, but I think it's just one of those things where like, it can really affect someone because if somebody put a lot of work into um, a certain adventure or the narrative, then um, that can really demoralize you. Um, so, yeah. What, what do you think, James? What are some of the, are there any other challenges that you can think of that we, I think, I think you, you've covered off the big three for me. The, the trick is the other challenge for me is with material that you've prepared and that you're ready to go with that, it comes with a visualization that you've had prior. And this is a little bit about needing to think of these ideas in the moment. If, if, I've, if I've got a game session that I've been mulling over for, you know, a couple of hours before the game and you kind of know what the flow is going to be like and you've kind of come up with the highlights and you've put your pacing together so that you get these up and down beats and you're kind of ready to go. It's when you've replaced that with something you're having to quickly ad lib and change and the group's gone in a different direction, one of the challenges for me is maintaining the quality of what you're preparing because thinking quickly on the fly means you don't have that, you know, the long passages of description that you might have done or you don't have the well-fleshed-out NPC that you can engage with. It makes it a little bit trickier and so you end up running a more shorthand game uh, rather than a more detailed, luxurious kind of rich experience. So that for me is the challenge is not just doing it pivoting quickly and coming up with good ideas, but pivoting quickly and having it appear somewhat seamless so it doesn't look like you're completely flying by the seat of your pants <laughs> and that this wasn't completely unprepared, <laughs> even though it totally was. It's kind of trying to keep the level of quality up there when you're bluffing your ass off is kind of the trick for me. Yeah, ignore the man behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, so definitely a lot to think about. So why don't we think about some, what, what would we do to help? Uh, what are some ideas to combat these challenges uh, and the different kind of stages during, during the preparation, during the game, during, even after the game, uh, you know, what, what are some of your thoughts around that? How about during preparation? What are, what are some things, it, it seems counterintuitive, right? During preparation, but what are some of the things you can do ahead of time to be able to uh, react in that moment easier. Um, Eric, so what do you I, think? One of my go-to go guys that I always... I, I talk about this guy all the time, and it's Sly Flourish with Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. 
Um, and he has provided me with such great resources to be able to deal with things that go awry and deal with things that go, you know, kind of in complete curveball ways that you go. And what what he recommends, and I and I thoroughly recommend this as well, is in terms of preparation, it's to be a little bit more loose in terms of what you're preparing all the time so that you're not falling into the trap of preparing rigidly, which means then you're, you're railroading yourself and then when people do something different, then it is calamitous for you. You can't. So it's actually preparing to be surprised in some way. So having some resources ready to go, having some ideas ready to go that don't necessarily rely on the path that you thought the character would take, characters would take. Um, Sly Farish does something called Secrets and Clues, which I think is an amazing. What he recommends is that you put out 10 sentences at the start of each of your sessions on some information that should be provided to the group about your plot, but he never says who's going to provide that information which means if the characters take a complete left turn and go somewhere entirely different, you can still provide the same information related to the, your ongoing plot that allows the story to keep going without completely railroad, railroading it. In the same vein, he suggests you prepare scenes, but not any specific order that the scenes should go in, so that you can, depending on the way that the players emerge and the decisions that they make, you can pop a scene and you can change things around. So... In some ways, the best advice I can give about how to prepare for curveballs is not be too rigid in your preparation to begin with that allows you to be a little bit more flexible as the game goes on, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, I find, yeah. Always I find, leave openings. I find Sly Flourish's um, ideas around secrets and clues, and I, call, I also add in truths, um, yep. really helps with that continuity problem or lore-breaking because you have 10 truths about the world that... Um, you can pluck that you know are going to work within the continuity and the lore and and sort of what you're trying to do. You've already got that built up, and they never never see them. But if that curveball comes, you're ready. So I really like how how he defines that. Um, and actually, I've, I've started doing that a little bit more than I used to. Um, I, I stole. He has a template um, for Notion, which is a note taking software, and I so I stole that template from yeah. him. And so it had all that in there already, and so it was easy to start um, adopting sort of that, that practice. Um, really good stuff. Um, a, another thing I find that's related when he, he talks about lo- just kind of scenes and truths and secrets is to remember that I'm in the problem department, not the solution department. So if I don't spend a lot of time mm-hmm. defining the solution or digging into, well, this should happen and this should happen and this is how they're going to solve there's no curveballs because any strange plans the players come up with make perfect sense. Um, you know, just set out the problem and then you can do that in scenes. Like I literally sometimes just bullet bullet out the adventure and say, here's some of the key things about the adventure. But you know what? I, I don't know how they're going to get into the Citadel. I don't care. That's their problem, not my problem. My problem is just to define that there's a Citadel here. Um, so that's another one that I think is is a really good thing to go along with the don't over prep and recognize that you want to be able to get used to doing things on the fly. Um, Eric, what do you thought? I, I think you got some thoughts there. You were, you were pondering. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, those are both extremely excellent suggestions. Um, <clears throat> and then for me, one of the things that I do, which is a little bit more actually preparatory um, is I will pre-prep 
a bunch of combat maps um, and yep. not just like basic maps. I mean, and I don't go like, again, you leave it, definitely leave it open, but like maps that fit multiple, you know, quote unquote, biomes or ecosystems or like say in, say in the case of Fallout, I had like a highway map and I had like a toxic ooze map and I had like a um, interior, like I had like a, um, a cafe map and with some, with some like basic, you know, themes like, okay, I know that in the toxic ooze maps, they're going to be ghouls. Right. And then there's, I did just have this little mechanic kind of set up there to make it a little bit more interesting than just like a basic random encounter. Um, that almost seems like I prepped it ahead of time for whatever, you know, because that, those are just going to be the easiest thing to throw in. Um, and we'll talk about that more, but yeah. So pre-pepping some like basic combat encounters that could fit different suggestions. And I'll often pre-pep a side quest of some sort um, that maybe has a very flexible beginning. Again, and not over-prepping it, but that it is completely different from the main narrative like a side quest in a video game where there's that side quest that's like very different from the narrative that I can use it at some point if I need to, if somebody's gone, if they've gone so into left field and I'm like, okay, well nothing in my narrative makes sense, but I have this side quest here that I can easily fit into what they are trying to do now. Um, that's another helpful thing that I, that I've done and again, not over prepping it, but just like, a, and not a, a very long one, you know, we're talking about a two, three session max kind of side quest idea. Um, that is that maybe is a little railroady, but it just has a, such a different feel from the main quest, and that's flexible enough that you can just kind of drop in when you need to. And I think a line with that is um, things that you might need on the fly. Just just pull a list together, like names of NPCs, yeah. some simple places, you know, things like that. Generators right? that you might use. Things, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that, like that's things that give stuff. personality. Yeah, things like that. Yeah, for sure. Now to and there's nothing uh, there's nothing wrong at all in preparation. If if people are doing a, a big curveball on you or moving in other different directions, nothing wrong with rolling up just a quick random encounter just to give you give you some time to think about things as well. Yes. Just to kind of go, <laughs> you know, all right, that's fine. You, that's you what know, I was uh, getting. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like quickly change. Give yourself some breathing time. Um, but absolutely, couldn't agree with you more, Eric. Preparing a variety of maps and scenarios that you've got in your back pocket ready to go really, really, really important. Um, and, and for me, I'm, I'm lucky because I run multiple campaigns. I can prepare once and have it for, for different games. But um, even for when you're preparing for a singular game, having a map with the tavern in it ready to go, having the highway ready to go, having the mountain the mountaintop ready to go, um, you know, will help you in the long I've, run for sure. I, I found I've become very good at, thanks to the uh, digital BTTs, I have a you know a big folder full of maps that are all labeled, yeah. and I'm I yeah. find that I'm getting very very good at while people are saying hey we should go do this thing to go yep I got a map drop it in to the thing go to the, my my uh, uh, bestiary that's in there grab a couple of creatures I don't even it's not even really prepared it's just I know I've got the map I know that I can pull things in and the VTT it all happens behind the scenes and nobody even knows. Yeah that it's going on at the time. So, um, well, and Savage Worlds makes that easier too, as far as quote unquote balance. I mean, it's definitely more um, complex when you're talking about D&D or Pathfinder or things with CR like levels and, you know, encounter balance, things like that. Um, Savage Worlds doesn't have that really. And it's more kind of innate um, uh, experience. Um, but yeah, I think all levels having your big category, you know, your big folders of maps, having preset mats up that you can easily like make harder if they're a higher level. And then yeah, do like a side quest thing. But for mm. sure, Carl. Yeah. 
and so I also would like to maybe with you guys touch a little bit upon that the the one of the problems that I mentioned was sort of when you're being creative on the fly, um, things that don't align kind of with the long-term campaign ideas you had or breaks lore or breaks kind of the continuity of what's there. Um, what, what do you do to uh, kind of help with that? How, how do you approach that? You know, personally, I spend a lot of time just understanding people's motivations and what their plans are and, and, what's going on in the world at the time. So if players do a curveball, I know that the bad guy is going to react in a certain way um, because I've internalized it. So that's a, that's a term. I've internalized everything that's going on in the world. So when I make something up, I've already recognized that it's probably not going to break anything because I just, I, I just understand it intuitively um, what's happening. Um, so does that ring true for you? What what are there some some thoughts you guys have to kind of not break your setting um, when you're that very you're much very much. and 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 one of the things I guess in terms of all campaigns, if you've got an understanding about what your antagonists are doing in the background, and it's independent of what the player characters are doing. So a great example is uh, I ran a game called Storm King's Thunder last year. Um, and one of my groups decided they didn't want to fight the Giants anymore. They wanted to set up a travelling circus and they would travel from town <laughs> to town and perform for gold, which happened about halfway through the campaign. And it was like a very cheeky, they were 12-year-olds, so they were just, you know, being cheeky. But that didn't mean that the Giants weren't going to continue to invade the world just because they decided right. they'd take a few sessions off. And so, yep, we got to role-play them running a circus and they got to travel through a few towns and it lasted a few sessions and everyone had a ball until the giants came through their circus tent and started to attack them directly. <laughs> so, you know, don't feel like... don't If you, if you keep the, the world running true to form, regardless of what the players do, then there will be, a, there will be consequences of... Uh, inaction or a change of direction yeah. that, that will bring them back to the fold. Yeah, I, I think on top of that, which is I think what you were pretty much saying, but my favorite trick and is if you need to get players back on track into your narrative, you take something away that's important to them. Yep. And every single time, they will be invested to then go after that thing as long as it's a chance for the game. And that could either be an NPC, that could be a, a magic item that they had, that could be a great resource they had, that could be, um, you know, yeah, any of those things. Take something away that's important to them. Guaranteed they will move heaven and earth to get that thing back or to have revenge on the thing that took that away. So that is a uh, tried and true surefire method, in my opinion. <laughs> Which I think what you guys were pretty much saying, but just, yeah, just even if if, if it is a quick thing, that's, yeah, sorry, go on. If you don't (laughs) do my story, I kidnap your mother. Perfect. I love it, Eric. It's great. Yeah, I mean, give them some space, like you said, James, to play, but then, yeah, take their mother away, take their favorite uh, bartender, you know, and like, so the daughter's crying to them, oh, they kidnapped the bartender, my father, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. If only we had have had heroes here to... To stop them, it would have worked perfectly. Sure. <laughs> exactly, yeah. If only they weren't in the circus performing. If they had been in the tavern meeting, <laughs> things would have been better. <laughs> so any other... But, I mean, but, Go ahead. And I should say, look, we're, we're coming up with solutions here, but 
Um, I don't want to seem too harsh about curveballs because curveballs no. I actually quite love as part of the game. Yeah, it ta- it means that we're not playing computer games, right? And it, it takes us away from board games. Uh, Fate touched is a great example. These guys, when I played them, I thought that the group was going to be closing down a magic portal to the Feywild. I thought that they would be helping the humans to close off the portal so that they so that the Fey armies couldn't continue to come into the world. Nope. They turned on their soldiers and went into the portal instead. Huge curveball that changed my entire game. And I loved every second of it. So, you know, these are, these are the fun parts of the game. So while we're talking about solutions, um, please don't think it's a negative thing because I think, I think the curveball is what makes the game fun. Yeah, and yeah, I don't think sure. – it definitely wasn't uh, – didn't want to imply that. I think it's when we talk about understanding the motivations, internalizing the world – um, things like that. Those are all to handle that curveball without, you know, kind of breaking. Um, and then, uh, you know, I know what Eric, what you were saying is taking something away. The idea is to, is to get them kind of back, back a little bit on the path, but yeah. still take what they've done. I mean, cause we're not railroading, you know, take what they've done and their ideas and it becomes part of that narrative, but you get a chance to think about it as opposed to, um, just immediately, react and then um it's kind of it and then something i think that's kind of where you were coming from eric more than just yeah absolutely anything, and right? I, yeah and i think james like you your own examples really illustrate and and neither of them are actually bad but like in that case with the fey touch like while it was a big curveball we were still within your narrative right like we yes. were still playing into the narrative with your with your kids who are doing storm king's thunder and then decided to do a circus Right, that is not within that narrative. So while you let them play for those three, four sessions, eventually you had to get them back on track for that one. Right? It wasn't like this is a circus game now. It was like, no, we're still playing Storm King Thunder. You had your fun. Now we're getting back to the to the to the giants. So those are, I think, you really illustrated two different scenarios where curveballs can be vastly different as far as um, upending the narrative. And just for the record, that that those twelve year olds are now fourteen, and they're they're choosing to travel. Uh, the world of uh, Critical Role Alexandria as food tasters this this session. <laughs> so now they're they're trying every every culinary treat they can in the world, and that's their story, and they're sticking to it. So right. you know, some groups you just can't help. I think it's, it's the other side of this. <laughs> so so <laughs> I love that. Um, they're they're. Uh... What, what's that TV show uh, where the guy goes around the world and tries the craziest, weirdest food? Um, yeah. Zimmer, Zimmerman. Um, Zimmerman. Zimmerman. Yeah. 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 Weird yeah. eats or something. So weird food. Yeah, I've whatever. got a group of six of those. that are, That's what that's all they're doing. So it's weird. It's their weird group. <laughs> that's I just love that. That's awesome. So um, I don't even know if I can continue. That's just so funny. Uh, anyway, uh, so that so that so we kind of touched upon preparation. Um some of the things about understanding your world so that you can react to it. So let's talk a little bit like during play. So we're actually in the game, things are happening and these curveballs are coming. They're a little, they're, they're like in the moment, you know, so now we're talking about seat of your pants for real. Um, so what are some of the, some of the ideas that, um, you think about when that scenario comes up? Um, so what do you uh, try not try not to panic is the first one. Yes, yes. Don't 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 let them see your fear is kind of the way that I that I work at it. Um, I guess there's a couple of things there. It's it's the don't panic, 
take a big deep breath, and then try and be, try and get as clear a response as you can from the group about what it is that they're trying to achieve, what what it is that they're trying to get out of it. So you that that can allow for a break. You go, oh, hang on a minute, just let's just hold that for a second. I just want to be clear about what it is you're trying to do here. So we're we're going to turn our back on the the giants, and we're going to become a travelling circus. Is am I clear on what it is that we're trying to do? So you give them a second chance to rethink what their 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 thought process, but it also means that you can articulate and give you some time to think. Um, so asking them some really specific questions to figure out what it is that they're trying to do and what it is they're trying to achieve, because sometimes it could be aligned with your story, but it's just a bit of a curveball, a little bit out there. So taking a big deep breath and doing it. And, and it is it is really okay to kind of ask for a break at that point. You can say, actually, Absolutely. this isn't kind of where we were thinking we were going for here. Why doesn't everyone grab a drink? I just need 15, 20 minutes just to kind of get my thoughts together um, and just to, to kind of prepare what we're going to do next. It so is- not panicking, being really clear with the players about what it is they expect and then and then calling for a break would be my instant response it, to a curveball. It is not Or even like ending the session. Yeah, it's, oh yeah, that is what we all, yeah. So, and I think we've touched about that a lot is that like there, everybody goes through this it's the the struggle is real and um you know yeah exactly carl it's not a sign of weakness and i think carl uh, and your point um james is also you could also end this session early if you're like nearing the end if you have 30 minutes left or something of the session then yeah we're ending the session early um people will be cool with that and like i think james you brought this up before my favorite thing is playing for time like absolutely and i think I could, we could, we touched upon that in the preparatory stage is that if you if if you know you need to run to the end of the session, but you don't want to end it early, play for time. Throw in a combat. It can be any combat. I mean, like we talked about, there's preset ones, but if you just need to do the most random of random encounters, which I usually don't even like, I don't like random encounters, but absolutely, if there's a curveball, stretch out that comp, make a long random encounter. Uh, two of the other things you can do is, you know, their social conflicts can actually last a long time, and also. Um, uh, what I call is the traveling merchant or traveling vendor. And to, to just to buy for time, you know, especially if you're in a, you've been kind of maybe skimping on, you know, the, the availability of magic items, like shopping. Shopping takes, always takes an enormous, <laughs> uh, ridiculous amount of time that you never think it is. So throw them a, you know, a weird merchant that has full of curios that like maybe you roll on a, t- you know, like have some fun with this merchant that just has like weird magic items and that they'll have to like look up or decide between. So that can eat up a lot of time. So that was my, that's one of my main tips is just, just play for time and run the clock basically until then you have more time to, um, to kind of think about it at, you know, between the games. But James, I love yeah. your suggestion and be just being honest with your players of like, if you're struggling, be like, I'm having, you know, I'm struggling. Like I, I'm going to think about things that, you know, communicate, like you said, I think that's probably the number one thing is that we should, you don't let them know you're afraid, but if you are struggling, you don't, it, it's fine that you are communicate with, communicative with that. Yeah. It's no, it's no coincidence. One of my made NPCs that I've run is, is Shifty McSwifty because he's a traveling merchant that just really? turns up yeah, and there you go. Yeah, <laughs> let me show you my wares. <laughs> you know, and, and it's uh, um, very very good. And it's a it's a it's a skill like anything else, right? Um, just yeah, I I find um, what's kind of fun sometimes is to um, you know have a concept or a scenario in mind and just think about how it can go sideways and then how would I react to it? And it just gets your mind sort of, uh, nimble, you know, the, the, 
the old improv thing, the yes and, the no but, all that kind of stuff. You get a chance to just kind of get used to doing it. It's like any other muscle um, to use. And so if you if you know everything about your setting and you've got it well internalized, you can, you don't even have to play for time. You can, you know, take advantage of sort of those skills you've built to just say, yeah, that makes sense. Let's go and see where that direction takes us for a little bit. And then if it's getting a little too far off, then like Eric, you say, maybe the session, we end with a little bit of a cliffhanger on some decisions that the players were making and where they were trying to push the story and then a little cliffhanger for the next session. Um, and then you know where they're going um, because they've stated they are going to go and um, make a circus. And so now, <laughs> and so now you can, you can, uh, kind of handle that the next session, but you didn't like just stop them cold. You, you're able to say, yeah, let's play on that a little bit before, before we got to the end of the session. Yeah. I think this is also one of the best uses of interludes too, um, which we talk a lot about. Savage Worlds has this mechanic of interludes where it's, there's a table and and there's kind of almost like different, yeah. Campfire stories or travels or things that have happened and getting your players starting to, you know, okay, you guys take the reins. I want you to start improving. you know, either stories or what's happening on your journey now, this weird direction they're taking, have them kind of start role-playing, and then you can even mine that for ideas about, like, where their actual head's at, and kind of do it, like, in character, in-game, rather than kind of the out-of-character, out-of-game, right, of, like, okay, so that that could be a good resource, too, and I think, I think I've done that definitely for Savage Worlds, because it's so easy of just, like, all right, you guys want to go over here and do this? Well, let's do some interludes now of like, what does this journey look like going to this other place? You know, what, mm. what, what, what are things that have happened? Or what are some of the NPCs that you might have met? Or what's a, you know, what was like a battle? Like you don't even have to do the actual battle, right? You can just have them start role-playing. And beside it eating up time, it'll also, you know, it'll make the experience richer of like the new direction because you're mining them in, in, to- in real time in, in some ways. Yep, that, that's uh... critically in this, and th- th- this is something that we haven't talked about before, uh, yet. It, it's about how do you somehow avoid this as well. One of the things that I try and do every every session is to get a good sense at the end of each session where the group is wanting to go Absolutely. in the next session. Absolutely, yes. Um, <laughs> and sometimes it can be quite extraordinary. So, Masks of Nyarlathotep is a globe trotting adventure. Uh, that is a massive book. Is eighteen hundred pages. Is this damn module? Um, wow! And you can go to one of six countries, and each country has got five hundred pages of material. And so I do a check in every time I play one of those sessions. So just to be clear, we're going to <laughs> England next, right? Just you know, at the every at the end of it. So once we finish, we are going this way, just so that you can know where the curveballs are going to come from. Um, and in some ways, there's a little bit of a social contract here, isn't there? That once a group decides at the end of a session, yeah, okay, we'll go to this village next, that they don't completely screw you over and, and at the beginning of the next session go, oh, we've changed our mind, we're going to go here instead. You know, there, there should be at least some kind of to and fro that what they say they'll do as a group, they'll follow through when you, when you meet next to allow you to prepare properly. James, that is a, I mean, of course, I mean, we've talked about that. Is, that is like one of the best tips you can do. And I think that there's a hiccup here that GMs sometimes suffer is that, and on that note, like if they, if you haven't provided ex- relevant information about the choices and they, at the end of the session, they're like, okay, we want to do this. And then the next session you're like, oh yeah. And also 
right? This place has whatever, like X, and this place has X. And they're like, well, if we had known that before, we would have chose yeah. the other one. So I think it's really important that if you are going to, when you do say that, make sure they know any real relevant information before they you make that choice and then you prep for the new thing, right? Um, because I've seen that happen multiple times of just, and, and it's perfectly understandable why it happens at the end of a session, right? We're all kind of tired, but that, that is a big hiccup with that is that if you have not provided all the, you know, important information, then they can change their minds and that's not bad on them either. Right. Because they didn't, yeah. they didn't have all the stuff that they needed to know. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think this, the, some of these ideas with the secrets and clues and things like that help with that. Like even in our current campaign, you guys just, did that a little bit, right? We there's there's a troll attack on a village, and you guys decided, well, we're not going to go attack the trolls. We're going to go and get help. Check the villagers, yeah. And yeah, go to check their on town. the villagers, yeah. and then go get help. And that's all would be very easy for me to go. Oh, I'm just not ready for this. But I already had written down that the wardens were doing this, and the people were doing this um, as part of the truths that I had, and so it was easy to just react to that with that one sentence and say, now, what are you guys going to do going forward? And you go, oh, we're going to go help the wardens out, you know, uh, with the bandits so that we can get their help. Okay, well, I've already talked about what I think the bandits are or not are or whatever. And so now it's easy at the end of the session to say, okay, you guys are going after the bandits. You got the information. Now we're going to go and I'm going to prep that, take it that one sentence and turn it into a scenario um, that it yep. wasn't quite ready to be. Uh, yet, but it was it was hanging out there to be able to to kind of pick off the tree. So, so good thoughts, um, you know, fantastic thoughts. Uh, any other um, kind of last thoughts or uh, ideas that you guys might have? I, I think we've we've talked about this before in, in multiple for different reasons. But sometimes, if it is a, a, a big enough twist. And you really feel like you need more time, and it's it's such an upending, you know. Throw it to one of the players to do a one shot or like a mini campaign, right? To just to give you time or to get you rethinking about things. I, I, that's just my final thing of, I've, and that's happened in games I've been in where the, the, they were like, okay, well, this is the big change. I, I'm not sure where I'm going to go yet. So does somebody wanted to kind of run like a mini, you know, a one shot or something in the same world. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think ultimately. We always can't say this enough, but besides like, you know, the d designers get rules wrong and it's, it's just really not important. And, and you're going to get curveballs. You're not going to be prepared always. You might have hiccups. You might not know what to do, but that it's like all okay. And the players, yeah. if they're good players, will understand. If, they're, if they don't understand, then they're not good players and screw them anyways, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> so, so I think like everybody's there to have fun. And at least for me, they, they want to support the Game Master because they're, they're making the magic happen. So never be afraid to be open with your feelings about these things and never feel bad. It literally happens to absolutely everyone. I'm sure even Matt Mercer, right? Some of the kings of improv and Game Mastering has happened to him before. So uh, I just think that it's yeah we all experience it you're not alone right it's, it's a shared <laughs> it's a shared narrative yeah. so yeah you know they're driving direction and you're reacting to it and you can say you know what i'm not ready for that for that yet yeah. and it's perfectly okay again like we said it's not a sign of weakness and it's a it's a part of the game it is actually the curveballs and the players doing weird stuff is actually it it feels like it's it's part of the design of the game it's that free fall that's you can be whatever you want to be. So um, uh, embrace it, have fun with it. Um, I I certainly love it. Every time that you come up with a really weird thing that the group's going to do next, it certainly 
you know, it, it keeps you on your toes and keeps you excited and keeps it fun and fresh. I, I say, I say, go with it, roll with it, have fun with it. All right, awesome, really good thoughts. Appreciate that. Good, good job, guys. So, hey, thanks everyone for tuning in. Hopefully, you got something out of it. Remember to drop by MasteringTheRPG.com to learn all about our other projects and uh, contact support us. Please email GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG.com if you have a question, need some advice, comments, feedback, uh, want adjudicating differences of opinion in your game group. We're there for you. We're going to help you out with that. Um, <laughs> if you like the show, please help us with positive reviews um, and send us email. We just love to hear from you. Um, so, uh, we love doing the show and we like to continue to do it. So uh, so once again, this is Carl with Eric and James. Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Happy gaming. <laughs>